0: Thank mm-hmm.
1: we are live uh, we certainly are if you were hearing the music I thought that might be a little easier way of telling how things are functioning how's everybody doing this week I see we have almost 100 folks on YouTube and what do we got in the D live 117 hello to D live all the bears all you good guys and girls and everybody let's see yes this is my music by the way I saw a couple people asking that's a song off of uh, an EP I did a couple years back called angel song and I usually use that as the opening and closing music for uh, any secrets of Saturn show and I thought I should just use it here because it was kind of dull just coming in and out every week without any kind of music or anything so there you go thought I'd use it again all right, so... And wait. as
2: we're learning the technology more...
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry, getting Jason, better and better at this thing, too. Uh, <laughs> as long as your Windows stops jumping around, I'll be great. Uh, everyone will have to let me know if the sound <laughs> is good. I think it is. All the levels look okay on my end. Still getting these little tweaks worked out. I, I still occasionally hear people complaining about the sound, that the mic levels are off and all that. So I, I tried to get them everything balanced by watching the meters and all that good stuff. Uh, the gear I use is very, very different than what most other people use. So anyway, enough boring stuff there. Let's start with uh, just a quick munching of our friend Randy from Houston and his product Lower the Friction, which, of course, we put in my car, and I'm still testing it weeks later. And I am still averaging 39 to 40 miles per gallon in a vehicle that should only be getting about 35 on average. So go there. It's an engine oil treatment. Promo code SOS gets you five percent off and uh, it'll extend the life of your life of your engine, get you better gas mileage, all that good stuff, works on new cars and older vehicles. So anyway, there we go. So how you doing this week, Wayne? All right. Uh hello everybody. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn Live. Uh I'm doing well, Jason. Yourself. I'm doing awesome. Awesome, awesome. Glad to hear. So this week, we're going to uh, revisit the myths because <laughs> something essential seems to be missing from our modern franchises and, and all of the things that are going on nowadays. And we know why. We don't have to go into that. Who is Crow777? Crow Triple Seven? Crow 7 is my girlfriend, Rose. <laughs> That's who she is. <laughs> if I could speak. Enunciate, Jason. Enunciate. <laughs> all right. So... Back in days past, there was something called the Hero's Journey, and it had different steps depending upon which version you looked at, but generally speaking, it's what told an interesting story from the mythological perspective, starting with the main character, building themselves up over time, and coming back full circle in the end. This isn't really (laughs) happening in a lot of stuff nowadays. It's uh, kind of pathetic, really. (laughs) and the best example of course is the disney star wars trilogy which is so bad i don't even consider star wars it's just it's disney star wars which is not connected to George Lucas's stuff in my opinion and quite a few people's opinion, especially if you watch any of the nerd channels that, uh, I don't know how much you follow them, Wayne, but I, I definitely look at several of them and I have a couple of friends that also follow them. Um, there's a few of them. I like, if you want to see them dissecting just how bad stuff is and they're getting it with the whole agenda and all that kind of thing, which is great. Um, Channels like Nerd Erotic, uh, I really like. Uh, what's the other ones? Geeks and Gamers, I really like. Uh, those are probably the two, of the big, two of the biggest ones that uh, I get a lot of current news. And to see how much they're trashing things that I really liked in childhood. And while these are just childish things that are good for entertainment, I use it, as I've said so many times, as a litmus test to see how much the controllers, whatever, who, whoever you want to call them, whatever you want to call them, are pushing the envelope, like how much are they moving the Overton window, but what the general public will take. And that's why I still watch all this stuff. Um, it'd be nice to have something right. to enjoy, but anything that's coming out nowadays, you're probably not going to enjoy. Uh, they just, they're just, I mean, let's be blunt. They're just pissing all over everything, but, uh, sorry, Wayne, go ahead. No,
2: that's okay. I was just going to read what you're saying. Cause absolutely. Uh, they use this as a gauge to measure, uh, just how, uh, malleable the the viewing audiences and then the public at large to whatever agendas that they want to put forward in the entertainment and that's that's absolutely what they use it for this is agenda pushing and this is what they use it for at this point so these things that uh, we as children enjoyed uh, back when we were growing up because it was well written and you know there was an actual good story there that's with, uh, classical archetypes like the hero's journey, uh, that stuff has gone to the wayside at this point. So, you know, it's all about promoting agendas, and there's certain specific agendas within the Hollywood circles that they're, they're really pushing hard at this point. And, I mean, we're going to touch on a couple of these, but the uh, primary one that we're going to look at tonight is how they've absolutely decimated the hero's journey completely out of many of these stories that they're telling and, and you know as you pointed out one of the best examples we could see of this is the whole Disney Star Wars trilogy that just came out it's just totally you know it took something that was a classic uh, example of this hero's journey archetype and it just just destroyed the whole thing and blew it all up in you know and the short span of just three movies, and actually it was a lot less than three movies. They they really kind of killed it, you know, overall in the the second movie that they put out of the trilogy. Ooh. The first one was just kind of the first one they put out, you know, was just kind of ho hum, a repeat of stuff with uh, characters that weren't memorable or likable. And then you know the second <laughs> the second uh, one that they put out in this trilogy that just released, it just destroyed everything that they worked with and then uh in this final that they just released they really doubled down on it all and just crushed it into the dirt what was uh, you know the classic property made by lucas so you know uh, we'll take a look at that and step you know, back to this whole archetypal idea of the hero's journey and this is exactly what the from the story uh and making the story not basically as likable or memorable as the originals, and in its place, in play hero journey, they're pushing agenda. And this is what we're going to discuss here.
1: <laughs> Guitar guy Barry on D Live says Wayne's camera is used for filming Bigfoot sightings.
2: <laughs> it, it's also good for convenience store robberies, too, just in case anybody's. Done. <laughs> it's, it's, I'll have go, you oh, go oh, NASA great camera right here. As well as the <laughs> biggest year for ever.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, one of these days yeah, I'm, I'm going to sure buy you my some internets, internets maybe for Christmas. Been, <laughs> <interbellum>. <laughs> Woodworking Bear KOTOR is the best Star Wars. You know what? I absolutely love the original Knights of the Old Republic stuff, the KOTOR stuff. Oh, yes. Love it, love it, love it, love it. That was like about the last time I cared about a video game too, but uh, the storyline was just, mm, that was the stuff. They don't write them like that anymore. Anyway, um, yeah, so predominantly we can compare and contrast the original Star Wars trilogy, which George Lucas blatantly said he used Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces book as a template, especially for the first one. But the overall, see what's interesting about the original one, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. The original trilogy is actually... Individually, it's a hero's journey for each of them, and then it's overall a bigger arc of a hero's journey. And it's predominantly, of course, about Luke Skywalker. It's, as a matter of fact, way back when it was called "The Adventures of Luke Skywalker," uh, not anymore. <laughs> Luke Skywalker got tossed in the dumpster by by Disney, but uh, in, in in a very serious way too, to the point that Mark Hamill, the actor who plays Luke Skywalker was calling it out in public on numerous occasions. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's sad to see what he was saying, but uh, obviously he was very, very displeased with the way that was handled. But uh, that's besides the point. All right. So the original trilogy is absolutely the stereotypical hero's journey because George Lucas used the template (laughs) of the hero's journey to obviously great effect and success. The Star Wars franchise used to be um, I really really don't know what kind of state it's in anymore because they have really done a lot to mm, I don't know if I, I would say destroy the fandom but they've split the fandom uh, the people who are very dedicated especially like older folks the ones who are buying all the merchandise and all that they've split all that badly a lot of people just walked away from it and like yeah I'm done I mean th- this is not the way you, it should have been handled and no one cares anymore and that's that but uh, anyway all right i don't want to ramble the whole time wayne because especially when we have three people on it starts getting hard for you to get a word in edgewise so where do you want to start we have the the full breakdown of the hero's journey and i think the easiest way to do that would probably be let's start with the original episode four which in 1977 was just called star wars but now it's called a new hope and we can compare that to the uh the first of the disney crap uh the disney movies um the Force Awakens.
2: Right, and uh, just to start off, just to set the record straight, I have nothing but the best NASA camera here on my computer, so everybody. Oh knows. yeah, we
1: forgot that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's get, that's getting the furthest reaches of space. They've sent the best one megapixel pixel, one megapixel CCD technology out to the furthest reaches of space to capture priceless things that no one has ever seen before. Anyway.
2: Yes, I know some of the most important things that humanity has ever seen. Let's find the craftiest camera we can and put it on this
1: satellite and send it out there into space. And this pictures gadget of right these here planets. can do 4K and it's in my pocket. But <laughs> 56 billion or 56 million dollars a day can't get <laughs> better than my iPhone. Pathetic. All
0: right, they could do good.
2: It's almost they like they're taking the piss out, special out of us, effects aren't we? On Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> they could do great special effects for Star Wars, but you know, NASA man, especially Jar Jar Abrams, he's got the best
1: there. lens flare I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, you know, Jar Jar
2: Abrams, Jar Jar Abrams, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's—I'll uh, tell you—some of these, uh, some of the things they've been doing, uh, it's just ridiculous. They've really killed this franchise. How could you not make money on a Star Wars movie? I mean, come on. It's ridiculous, It's it's and it's all about the social programming involved with it. Mm-hmm. So we can, yeah, take a look here at, you know, the whole hero's journey and see how it winds up and how it makes for a great story. And this is something that uh, relates to uh, myth representation, too. Like, this goes back to all the myths of antiquity, and this is an important foundation people need to understand. A lot of our modern world and a lot of... Uh, social programming things going on in our modern world are all based upon mythology and if you don't know mythology there's a lot of things you're missing and this is something that escaped me for the longest time so i've been looking more into mythology recently here because it's something that i totally really never had much of an interest in and i never really followed uh to any degree whatsoever and uh, I see now a lot of this is, is control templates that they use uh, with the, these mythological stories. So that's the thing. If you're not familiar with mythology, you're missing a lot of what's going on in society today. If you don't know uh, your mythology, your classic myths and stuff like that, and uh, that's a realization that I came to, you know, just more recently. And it's something I'm looking into heavily. And it's actually something that's foundational. To the whole control structure they're putting in place. So uh, this is one of the pillars that they, they build things upon. They build whole systems on. They build uh, entertainment around. And entertainment is just basically designed to grab a hold of your mind and, and program you. That's, that's what it's for. It's not so that you could enjoy some downtime like it may have once been intended for. And, you know, escapism from your day-to-day grind it's basically, it's full-spectrum programming going on, and it's done in very subtle ways. And a lot of times they, they hit on these specific archetypes that harken back to mythology, these mythological archetypes, of which the hero's journey is one. And this is a, an archetype that uh, goes across a lot of different myths. Like, you'll notice most of your ancient myths have some formation, of how their story works, how the story arc goes, and there's usually a lesson learned at the end of all, or there's some kind of, uh, you know, ethical concern or something brought about within these myths, and uh, this holds true even up into the modern day, things that were modeled after this whole hero's journey archetype, things such as the original Star Wars trilogy. it's important that we take a look at this stuff and, and really kind of break it down and show people just what's involved with this and how, with a lot of these modern things they're doing, this hero's journey has just kind of been inverted. Uh, it's it's like as if they're, they're trying to present to people an idea of a quote-unquote shortcut uh, to getting to the end of the hero's journey with no actual hero's journey in it. And this ties directly back to... Uh, a lot of different things we talk about. I know I sound like a broken record all the time, but transhumanism—it ties directly to transhumanism, and I—I uh, I can't just sp- express this stuff enough to people. They need to understand this is what it's all about. This is what the eventual uh, end game of all this uh, social narrative and social engineering going on is. They're looking for transhumanism. They're trying to get people to capitulate to transhumanism, and that's what underlies all these different things. So that's one of the main reasons why they're trying to eliminate this whole hero's journey concept and archetype within the entertainment, is because they see it as being uh, kind of an obstacle in their way, people to have this human experience, because this is what this is about. This is a human experience. So in order to get people to capitulate to the transhuman idea they have to skip over this whole human experience that's like they say uh getting there is half of the fun right so it's like if you're traveling somewhere if you're on vacation the trip to get there is is half of the fun is, is what the old uh, you know expression goes so it, it's kind of works along the same lines you're skipping the steps to get there and just going to the end game OK, and that's what they're looking to try and reinforce with taking away this whole hero's journey archetype out of everything. So just to kind of put that in front of it all, uh, if you want to go ahead, Jason, you could kind of read off uh, like the first step of what the hero's journey is. And we could kind of compare and contrast the mu- the movies that way.
1: Absolutely. And and here's the thing. If, if folks don't understand just how important mythology is, they really should be listening to Crow 777 radio more if they don't get it because we have, uh, with Wayne's help on quite a few episodes, broken down just how much the elite or whatever you wanna call them, use these archetypes. Uh, Even today in 2020, this stuff is being used. So it's important. It's important to understand it and we show how it's being recycled over and over again. But the first step of the hero's journey is the ordinary world. And this is where the hero exists before the present story begins. The hero is oblivious of the adventures that are to come. It's a safe place. The everyday life where we learn crucial details about the hero, the hero's true nature, capabilities, and outlook on life. This anchors the hero as a real person, as a human being, if indeed they're human. it might not be, depending upon the story. Uh, But they're just like you and me. We're able to relate to them as like, oh, they're just a normal person. And this makes it easier for us to identify with the character and later, of course, empathize with the character because Things are going to start happening, uh, usually bad things. But as we're as we're going to point out, uh, in the modern stuff, nah, nothing really happens. <laughs> but. Let's take the the, the real archetype here, and that's Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker starts off on Tatooine. He's an ordinary boy, kind of. I mean, I I don't know. I don't remember how old he's supposed to be, maybe 19 or 20, somewhere around there. It doesn't really matter. He's a young man uh, with dreams. He's looking out off to the horizon at the suns, dreaming of a bigger, better life than just being a, uh, what is it called? A moisture (laughs) farmer. A moisture farmer on a planet that's out in the middle of nowhere uh, that no one gives a crap about and all that. So what are we seeing? We're seeing the ordinary person kind of thing, just like the everyday, nothing exciting going on They're They're not even like in the military, nothing like that whatsoever, just living everyday life. Wayne.
2: Uh, Just to kind of go off on a little tangent there, uh, there's a lot of different esoterics. Uh, a young man, maybe 18, 19, 20, something like that, uh, a moisture farmer. Uh, that invokes the farmer archetype, okay, and there's there's some esoteric things connected to this that we'll probably get into at some later date, but uh, there's a farmer archetype, and he's gazing off at the distance at the two suns in the sky, which is a total show of, of the hand, of, of the power structure, two suns. Now, there's a, that's an important chemical encoding there, too. And uh, we actually did an episode of Critical Seven, uh, looking at the concept of two suns. If people want to check that out, I believe it was like episode 150, if I remember. Uh, and that was uh, an important episode because, yeah, because that kind of uh, shows that uh, going back into antiquity, there were many reports that there there is a second sun in the sky that we we don't mm-hmm. normally see. And uh you know this this could be an important facet of things, and I just find it interesting that Lucas uh, decided that uh, this planet that uh, Luke would be on would have two suns, and he's gazing off at these suns and uh this this relates to two different archetypes of uh, of that are called uh, Helios and Theos, okay? Theos is the sun that you don't see. So uh, the, the, the connotation there is that the sun that you do see is a reflection of the the sun that you don't see. So uh, you have your duality encoding there and, and how uh, life is just an illusion, like your ordinary everyday life. It's, it's all structured. It's an illusion, okay? And it, you're kind of... Trapped in this normal, ordinary, everyday life, and this is where Luke was. So he was dreaming of bigger, better things, and uh, you know, gazing off in the distance. And he was just going through his run-of-the-mill life as a, a, a humble moisture farmer. Okay, so I guess what's involved. This is like your your sci-fi, deep space kind of farm allegory. He's a, he's a farmer. He he works hard on this farm. It's it's considered to be uh, like blue collar labor. That kind of thing. He's just a normal working guy. Okay? Normal working class guy. He has to work hard. Uh, The environment is harsh, so he has to uh, be careful and, you know, be really diligent about the things he does and has to keep maintaining that farm. So that's what this is. So this sets up, he's a regular working class guy like everybody else. He's a young guy who dreams of maybe doing something big someday, but has his humble roots right there down on the farm working for his uncle and aunt. And uh, this is his ordinary existence. So he's going about his daily routine. And uh, that leads up to, uh, you know, uh, by comparison, in the new Star Wars trilogy,
0: Hmm.
2: we really don't get a a real glimpse of what uh, this new character's everyday existence is all about. We don't get an inkling... That, uh, you know, she really has a, a, a routine that matches up uh, with, like, your every person. So, because the, she comes across as being all by herself. She's a loner on this desert planet, uh, trying to uh, salvage junk that she goes and trades for food. And that's, that's the only thing you get. You really don't get a sense of who the character is that excuse me, you don't get a sense of, like, what her age range is supposed to be or how long she's been there or, you know, it doesn't give you any backstory of how she really got there or, or, you know, she's doing there.
1: Uh-oh. Did we lose Wayne? Houston, we have a problem.
2: Okay. And, uh, just goes about her, her routine that way. Uh, I'm getting some weird sound on the mic here. Jay, yeah, know. your
1: internet dropped for a moment there, and Skype was kind of throwing. You. Can you hear me?
2: Okay. Your, your Skype was kind of, throw of throwing me a at all? there. Okay, I don't know. What I, want to hear. I hope I don't have bad weather or something rolling in. But could you hear me now?
1: Yeah, maybe you'd be better off just turning the camera off to try and get better bandwidth out of your uh, audio.
2: Uh, Let's take video off Okay, video out Turn off my lovely NASA camera See how that goes Turn video off There it goes Alright, I'm just going to kill that Alright Do you have my audio at least now?
1: Well, I'm going to see if this helps uh, Since there's going to be less bandwidth Being divvied up between video and audio Let's see if it cleans up your audio a bit. All right, so moving forward, go ahead. All right, so let's recap there since you dropped out a little bit. What we're seeing in *The Force Awakens* with Rey is we don't see a, a home life or a family life anywhere near to the extent that we saw with Luke Skywalker, who uh, has a realistic situation. Lives with his aunt and uncle. It's not his mom and dad, but he lives with his aunt and uncle. He's he seems kind of like a real person. You know, he's doing chores. He doesn't really like it. Uh he's kind of fussing a little bit with, with the family because he doesn't want to do what they want him to do basically. And uh ray lives by herself on this horrid planet. Yeah, it's that's almost note for note the same as Tatooine. And she's by herself scavenging out of derelict military vessels and taking the parts and selling them for food. That's that's all we know about her life. So uh, right off the bat, uh, I think I don't think anyone's going to really argue that Ray's boring as hell. Once you watch these movies, there's so little to her character. I mean, everybody jokes around about how she's a cardboard cutout. There's nothing to her. Uh, you know, <clears throat> what's what's really ironic? It's almost like you know they wanted to empower women with these characters and have these strong women characters, but not a single damn one of them are interesting in any way, shape, or form. And that's what sucks. I'm all about everybody getting their proper representation and all that. But how about it being realistic? How about it being interesting? How about it being exciting? I mean, this is supposed to be entertainment. It's anything but. But anyway, Wayne, go ahead. Yeah,
2: well, anyway, you could kind of see the the contrast between, uh, you know, you you see Luke has a family. He's got concerns. He's got responsibilities. uh, He's got something that's a regular day-to-day life that he cares about. Okay ray doesn't have anything she cares about that that that's the whole point it's like she's got nothing it's it's just this desert setting planet where she just has to i guess fend for herself and she really has no reason to want to stay in this quote-unquote ordinary life of the hero's journey whereas luke at least has some incentive to stay put he's got his aunt and uncle he cares about his family he cares about their farm doing well and stuff like that. So, I mean, he's got reason to be, and whereas Ray has really reason to be. So that kind of eliminates an important step in the hero's journey. Uh, she really has no roots to really cling to or, or to depend on or to fall back to. Or want to stay in. And this is kind of an important concept moving forward through the whole hero's journey archetype. So, uh, yeah, uh, I see in the chat somebody said that uh, my, my camera is a potato farm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can <I> see that. <laughs> but, yeah, that made me giggle a little. Thanks for that. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely I, I have some Internet issues where I'm at. I live out in the middle of nowhere So we have one choice, one choice for an internet service provider. And to be blunt, they suck. So uh, I do have some frequent issues with bandwidth and with, uh, you know, internet signals dropping and such like that. But uh, it's the price you pay for living out in the boondocks, I guess. And I I would much rather live out here in the middle of nowhere with no neighbors to worry about or anything than uh, live in town. So that's, that's just me, but that's neither here nor there, but, uh, back to, uh, you know, the thing at hand, uh, the whole hero's journey archetype, Ray has nothing to really, no life to really speak of. There's nothing interesting going on there. There's, she has no reason to be. So it's kind of a depressing thing to start with. So it, it eliminates an important element from the whole story arc.
1: Well, that we could also tie in some symbolism here because uh, Luke, Luke Skywalker, Luke, the light that walks across the sky. I mean, there's some encoding there as well. And lots of people have done work on this before. Right? <laughs> we don't need to beat a dead horse. So Luke comes from Lucius, uh, which, of course, is uh, comes from Lucifer. It's all tied together. It's all light, the light bear, all that stuff that I'm sure everyone's heard a million times. But uh, I wonder how many people picked up on up on Ray, even though they spelled R A R E Y. Uh, at least I think they do. Ray comes from Ray, sun ray, or Ra, R A. Again, it, it, just a carbon copy of uh, of Luke, uh, except that they flip the gender. It's something that's done way too often these days. Um, there you have it. Anything else on point one, Wayne, or shall we move yeah. along?
2: No, I think we could move along and people will start to see how, uh, you know, there's certain things missing from this whole archetype that really kind of makes for not only a good story, but, uh, kind of gives a, a good, uh, say ethical or moral backdrop to things and kind of gives people the whole element of feeling like, you know, they could relate to the story. So like th- that whole relatability thing is important, especially when you look back at some of the ancient myths, if you could relate to something, uh, you know that's told in one of these myths and uh you could kind of incorporate that into part of your own journey so that that's that's kind of a, a one of the key aspects to storytelling is you want your characters to be relatable and uh in the new trilogy you're, you really get none of that so
1: right and uh i see someone mentioning about uh The current Wonder Woman being an interesting, yeah, because I liked the first Wonder Woman movie, the Wonder Woman movie they just put out, because it actually was written pretty well. And even though her character is a superhero, we we already know she's a superhero. It's not like they're taking uh, a character and making them over the top. She she had a real and she had a a, a hero's journey. She had the uh, the normal life and the call to adventure. Like all the things we're about to go through in the Wonder Woman movie, this happened. She was realistic from a fantastical point of view but she was more real and here's another very 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 important thing that a lot of these modern agenda driven movies aren't getting right and that's she's likable gal gadot's character is likable and i don't just mean that she's very pretty she's likable she's she comes off as a positive person ray unfortunately for whatever reason they too often made her kind of bitchy or or kind of stale like she's just she wasn't very interesting and I remember, like I, I noticed it right away the first time i saw the force awakens other than just being boring in a rehash of a new hope i was like why are they making this lead character just be a nothing don't you want people to be interested in this but anyway let's move on to point two and that is the call to adventure and the hero's adventure begins when a call to action is received such as a direct threat to the character's safety the character's family their way of life to the peace of the community in which they live or multiples of those which is quite often the truth Uh, the lord of the rings is another good example of that that the hobbits receive the call to adventure it may not be as dramatic as a gunshot but simply a phone call or a conversation but whatever the call happens to be and however it manifests itself it ultimately disrupts the comfort of the hero's ordinary world back in step one, and presents a challenger quest that must be undertaken. So, looking at the original Star Wars, what happens? The Empire comes and obliterates Luke's family. There's this called adventure. Of course, this is after all he already met the mentor, but the mentor hasn't really started much yet. That's another step, of course. What happened in The Force Awakens, Wayne, with Rey? <laughs>
2: um... I don't honestly really remember, to be honest. (laughs) I I don't remember what was the call to action. I don't really think there was much of one other than, you know, maybe I, I don't know. It's been a while since I watched it, but I honestly don't remember what was the thing that compelled her to leave her situation. I don't remember. and that's not good. Like it's it's so unmemorable that I can't even remember, even though i I watched the movie. I watched it several times, actually, at least two or three times. And I don't remember what was the thing that got her off the planet. I think it was uh, one of the other characters now that I'm thinking about it that uh, Poe, he crashed his ship or something there, and then they wound up, uh, you know, looking for uh, Poe's droid. Uh, you know, which is a complete rip off of the first, yeah, you know, it's, series it's, of movies. They're looking for same, a map, thing. which is it's the same exact thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's the thing. So I guess that's finally what compelled her is, uh, you know, she found the droid. Yeah, and uh, he Poe came back to get the droid, or was it uh, the other guy? I no, I was yeah, yeah I was Finn, Finn or whatever showed up looking for the yeah, looking mm-hmm. for the droid for Poe's so droid or up, something. By the and, way. Yeah, yeah, because she's you know got to beat up the man because you know it would be totally wrong if the woman didn't beat up the man. Just as an interesting aside, if you want to see people really freak out, wouldn't it be cool if they put out a Wonder Man movie (laughs) 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 instead of a Wonder Woman? If they did the gender bend the other way, you want to see people totally freak out? That's that's probably what would happen. But that's neither here nor there either. But uh, yeah, so I'm trying to remember. Oop, did I lose
1: you again? All right, let me know when you come back. Uh, So yes, that is what happened in The Force Awakens. BB-8, the droid, has a a map, or at least a piece of a map, that uh, everyone's looking for because it's supposed to be the map to Luke Skywalker, uh, very similar to the Death Star plans being hunted down in the original Star Wars. So The Force Awakens is almost a note-for-note carbon copy of The Force Awakens. Uh, The excuse that was given was they didn't want to overdo it for the first one and gently bring people into the new era, which the new era ended up be, the new era really just ended up being total crap. That's beside the point. Uh, well, well, no, I guess that is the point. But all right, moving on to point three. You know, I'm wondering if I need to reconnect with Wayne. I don't hear him coming back at all. Wayne, can you hear me at all? Well, I'm going to drop Wayne and I'm going to bring him back in. Wayne, 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 Wayne. Well, this isn't good. Maybe I'll be doing the show myself. Well, anyway, I know this material either either way. If I have to carry it, so step three is refusal of the call. Although the hero may be eager to accept the quest, at this stage the character will have fears that need to be overcome second thoughts, or even deep personal doubts as to whether or not the character is up to the challenge presented. When this happens, the hero will will refuse the call and, as a result, may suffer somehow. The problem the character faces may seem too much to handle, and the comfort of home is far more attractive than the perilous road that no doubt lies ahead. This would also be our own response, most people's response, the average person's response, and once again helps us to bond further with the now reluctant hero and again the, the, the whole interesting thing about the hero's journey is that it's to make you relate to the character it gets you into the story when you're really into a story uh you enjoy it more i mean that's the bottom line right let me see what's up with wayne here might have to call his cell phone to bring him back in So, well, I'm just going to carry on here. Sorry about the technical difficulties, folks. Uh, Maybe Wayne needs some satellite internet. So the refusal of the call in the original Star Wars is when Luke Skywalker meets Obi-Wan Kenobi and he says, you must learn the ways of the Force and come with me to Alderaan because they've seen the message from Princess Leia and you probably, most people know that story. Um, In The Force Awakens, there isn't a refusal of the call that. I think they kind of skipped that step funny enough um, <laughs> because they go from you know I know I, I, I dislike these characters so much I keep uh, blanking on their names Ray meets with Finn and all of a sudden they, they're attacked and then they're running off and then, then they're mil- miraculously finding the Millennium Falcon which she can miraculously fly even though she has no clue how to do any of these things uh, go figure all right Let's try Wayne again. Well, isn't this a problem? I think I'm going to to try his cell phone, folks. We're experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Cue elevator music. Do, do 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 might be testing my uh, my own waters here tonight if i have to carry this show by myself that'll be a first anybody want to chat with me while i'm doing so <laughs> don't hold her hand yeah exactly the the main character finn kept her not the main character but the other character finn kept trying to grab her hand and run and she kept yelling at him because she's a strong woman she don't need no man wayne says his internet connection just went totally dead Haha I will call your mobile phone, Wayne McCroy. Do 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 do. Gotta pull up the dial thingy. All right, Wayne McCroy. Sometimes I think they mess with him. Crow sure as hell gets it, that's for sure. All right. Let's see if that works. Do I think that... Do I think since Bob Iger left Disney that Star Wars did reset itself? Okay, you know... Bob Iger was the head of uh, was the CEO of Disney for the past 15 years. As a result, he did a lot of acquisitions and brought a lot Your of You're call has valuable been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Wayne, come on man, what are you doing? Answer the phone. Do I th- if I think Star Wars is going to get a reset, probably not. Uh, I I mean, I doubt it very much because they never backtrack on this kind of stuff, at least not most of the time. I I don't see Disney doing it. They're just going to stand by and uh, behind what they did and they're going to move forward. Why do I think that? Because there's no point in them doing anything else. They've they've got the money and they can just keep making new properties. (sighs) Now, here's the thing. With something like Star Wars, they can always make money off of it. Even if they never made another movie again or if they just put out bad movies, the old stuff is always going to make money. There's so much money. As a matter of fact, Crow and I just had this conversation the other night. We were trying to figure out just what kind of money stream is coming just from – the four point what was it 4.2 billion dollars that disney spent to buy lucasfilm which wasn't just star wars by the way that was indiana jones uh willow whoopee uh (laughs) howard the duck that's a good one yeah everything that george lucas did was under the lucasfilm umbrella it also included ilm industrial light and magic so all of the special effects and all that skywalker sound all that stuff that all came under one big umbrella so They're going to make money no matter what because there's residuals all the time from Star Wars everything. I mean, think about the insane amount of merchandising that has gone on. Star Wars is is the greatest intellectual property for merchandising that I've ever seen. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am just from when we were trying to break it down. I'm trying to think what else might even... Might even be close, but no, I'm pretty sure Star Wars has marketed the most. Wayne's saying it looks like he has interwebs again. Let's find out. Beep. So that being said, uh, step three, again, with with the new Disney trilogy, kind of got... Skipped. There really was no refusal of the call. Maybe a little bit later on in the story, after she's already left the planet and she's with Han Solo, but um not not really. Not really. Alright. Alright. Next. Step four is meeting the mentor. And uh this should be an obvious one with especially with the original Star Wars. At this crucial turning point is where the hero desperately needs guidance and the character meets a mentor figure who gives something that is needed. It could be given, uh, the character can be given an object of great importance, Uh, in the original Star Wars that would be the lightsaber, insight into the dilemma that is being faced, perhaps just some wise advice, practical training, or even self-confidence. Whatever the mentor provides the hero with, it serves to dispel the doubts and the fears and give strength and courage so that the quest can actually be undertaken. The uh, Lord of the Rings, again, is a very good example of this. Uh, Gandalf is, of course, the very stereotypical mentor figure uh, that Obi-Wan Kenobi was no doubt uh, modeled after, and so was Dumbledore from the Harry Potter series. oh, 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 oh. oh. Is this working? All right. He's saying, "Try me now." Who is what guy? My name is Jason Linder, and hello, hello Sorry, I can't pronounce your name. Hey, can
2: you hear me? Sorry. Can you hear me now? I can hear. Them. That's better. Oh, hey, much better. How about them apples? By the way, folks. By the way, folks. Frontier sucks. Just so you all. <laughs> Uh, I I think somebody a few weeks back actually guessed that in the chat room when I was having internet issues. Then yeah, it's it's frontier. They suck. They suck hard. So just so people know that. Uh, I I don't know what actually you caught. I was in the middle of talking and then like the internet just completely dropped. Like the entire uh, the entire thing just dropped right off. All the internet in the house just dropped. So. Uh, it right. looks like it's back and running strong now.
1: Uh, I mean, you, you haven't broken up at all. Um, someone just in the chat room, let me see, asked why do why why did George Lucas sell all the intellectual properties? Well, <sighs> George Lucas is good friends with Bob Iger, who was the CEO and is still sticking around, by the way, uh, in Disney. He's he's going to be head of creative until his contract is up in December of 2021, but uh, he's getting older. Because of the massive backlash, because of the prequels, he didn't want to do the third trilogy that he had outlines for and all that. So he thought that Disney would take care of his property, his characters or his kids, as he called them. And they did the exact opposite. They put this uh, insanely egotistical woman in charge of Lucasfilm that George was totally behind. She was handpicked. Her name is Kathleen Kennedy. And she went bonkers. Just doing pro-feminist stuff and i don't know if that was something she was told to do from higher up but the way george lucas is acting he sure as hell didn't seem like he expected that Uh, i think that was her own nonsense in, in this day and age that uh man i just don't buy into all this patriarchy stuff i mean years and years ago sure i'm talking about today in the 21st century It's just, it's so old and tired and they're just letting crazy people be in charge of all this stuff and, and they're letting them do it because it's pushing agenda, it's pushing agenda that divides and conquers us. We're all falling for it. Look, we're doing a whole show just talking about how they're crapping all over something that once was actually pretty decent years ago that I saw when I was a child and was a good story. It, it, it enthralled me as a child, but anyway. Yeah, the the prequels are definitely epic in compared to <laughs> the Disney trilogy. You know what's funny about that, yeah. though? I, I even said this in 1999 when I first went to go see Episode One. Uh, I. I said to the girl I was dating at the time who was there and a couple friends, we all went together. I'm not expecting these to be as good as the original trilogy. I didn't go into it thinking that. I was expecting something that felt like Star Wars, that had the flavor of Star Wars, but no way in hell... Were they going to tell a backstory, which is what the prequel is? The prequel story, the prequel, prequel trilogy, man, I can't speak today. The prequel trilogy was filling in the gaps so that you understood the original trilogy better. I wasn't expecting the characterization and all the things that made the original trilogy so damned interesting to be there in, in episodes one, two, and three, because we already knew the general gist of what happened. You see that kid named Anakin? That's going to be Darth Vader. Something really bad's going to happen to him. We know this, you know? It's not like there's anything unexpected going on. See that guy named Obi-Wan? We know what happens to him. He goes on to train Luke Skywalker, Anakin's kid. It's like, we know all this. It's just backstory. People made such a big deal about how these aren't living up to the originals but wasn't supposed to, man. It was just supposed to fill in the gaps. And I knew that even in 1999 when I was much younger. I just, I just didn't think it was going to be that that big of a deal and you know what i ended up enjoying them a hell of a lot more than other people yes i found jar jar a little annoying but i really just didn't care but anyway wayne i don't want to talk over everything here where do you want to pick up at i i did move on to point four um uh, meeting the mentor okay but whatever you want to say about refusing the call which is step three go right ahead and fill in because you dropped out and most of what you were saying that got, got lost
2: Okay, just just so we know. uh, So if the mentor was Jar Jar Binks, then, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) that could be a real problem. I wouldn't I I wouldn't expect anything less from Disney than to 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 maybe make a movie like that coming up in the near future. But, uh, you know, based upon that. Uh, the prequel trilogy was uh, definitely more enjoyable than this latest trilogy because, like you said, you knew what to expect with it. And even though they throw in things like annoying Jar Jar Binks, which, by the way, guys, here's a goldmine of an idea. Uh, I was talking about this with my 10-year-old son. We keep joking about it. Uh, Do a personal assistant app, like an Alexa-type thing, but call it Jar Jar. And it talks to you in the Jar Jar voice, and it messes everything up. So, like, (laughs) when you tell it... uh, Jar Jar, play uh, play rock music. Misa charge it, maxed out all your credit cards. Okay, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, it, it, yeah, it, it could be an amusing app that somebody could invent out there. If there's anybody out there into coding, I, I think that would be, I think that would be a funny thing to do. But uh, I'm sure Ahmed Best is aside, looking for work. Yeah, aside <laughs> uh, from from that train wreck of a character, the the uh, prequel trilogy. By comparison to the new one, really wasn't that bad. But uh,
1: I never thought uh, they're that good. Especially three. Three was really good. I don't know why anybody doesn't like three. No, I I
2: enjoyed those uh, those prequels. I I really did. Even though uh, I thought some of this stuff was kind of like you know a little out there. Like episode two was called uh, Attack Attack of the clones. Clones. When I saw the title, I thought, what in the hell are they doing to Star Wars? But it actually, it turned out to be well, not a bad story, but, yeah, Do you, you know why
1: he used kind of a, an oddball title like that? Like, I thought the same thing at first, but George Lucas yeah. was making a callback to the serials, the Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serials that he had seen as a child. That's all. That That's all it was. That's why it's kind of got like, you're kind of like, what? But when you when you look at it as a whole, it does work.
2: Right. As far as cereals go, though, I like Frosted Flakes myself. But that's, that's fair. you know, once again. But uh, at any rate, uh, uh, what are we up to?
1: Meeting the mentor, did you say? Yeah, we're up to meeting the mentor, that, and I already that's... went through some of that. Now, okay, get to recap, in the original Star Wars, of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the mentor, uh, at least as far as... Uh, a New Hope is concerned. Uh, Yoda becomes the mentor right. in, in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi a little bit. Now, right. as now, far by, as the by mentor... By contrast, though... By contrast, though, yeah. there is a mentor figure to be fair in The uh, *In the Force Awakens and that is Han there Solo. Is? Han Solo is acting uh, as... Okay. To a point. Well, of, this is the I problem. guess kind of, yeah. it's, not, it's not anywhere near to the degree that Obi-Wan was teaching and training uh luke skywalker not at all no well because ray doesn't need any help ray has shown even at this uh short point of the movie we're only about half an hour uh, i would guess like into the force awakens and she's already beaten up finn uh they've escaped uh, what was the name of the stupid planet jakku and she can fly the millennium falcon better than han solo can and now they're meeting han solo and chewbacca and she figures out how to fix something on the Millennium Falcon that Han Solo couldn't. So what do we see there, Wayne? What are we seeing set up uh, with all of this?
2: Uh, That she really doesn't need a mentor because she could just do whatever. And once again, that ties back to the whole shortcut idea that I've been talking about. So it's it's like somehow she just has this mystical knowledge just... Right in her head, instantly, without any learning process going on, uh, which, once again, harkens back to the whole transhumanist idea because they talk about actually being able to just upload information directly to your brain so that you don't really need to really learn anything. You can just access it whenever you need. And that kind of, uh, you know, plays along with the whole shortcut idea and, and this kind of thing uh, with Ray in, the, in this. Trilogy that Disney did, she doesn't really need a mentor. She doesn't have a mentor in any real sense in any of the movies at all. Uh, the The thing that gets me is, uh, uh, well, we'll get to that a little later. But in the the final movie of the new Disney trilogy, she kind of looks to Leia as a mentor, even though you know, uh, it which which doesn't really make sense because Leia never did any actual jedi training or anything in any of the canon so uh it it makes zero sense but like you know she refers to her as master and stuff like that and you know listens to what leia says and it's it's just totally just craps all over luke skywalker's character because
1: why luke was a failure the man was a failure because he was a man the most optimistic boy in the universe is now a cranky old guy who won't do anything and yeah yeah it's it's terrible here's what we got to do though wayne this is this is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this we got to point out what the damage that's being done as a result of this having a character like ray be a supposed um, figure for for young children to look up to is a huge issue because real life doesn't work that way you do have to work at stuff to achieve anything. You don't hop in an F-15 and escape the bad guys if you want to use a real-world comparison. Uh, you just happen to know how to how to fly the damn thing. It doesn't work that way. You, you get behind the wheel of a car for the first time, and I bet you're going to have trouble. So... Yeah. This is a problem. They're setting up the, right. the idea that you don't have to do anything to earn anything. You're just handed it, which sounds, doesn't that sound so much like the insane culture, uh, you know, uh, participation trophies, that kind right. of thing. So, it's just insane. It, this is insane right. stuff.
2: Plus introduced the idea of having no learning curve on anything. Like you just, you just know how to do it, you know, it, it that just makes people, it gives people this, this false sense that, uh, you know, they they could just accomplish anything by putting no effort into it at all. Anything worth having in this world is worth working for and worth putting effort into. So it, it's kind of devaluing uh, things and devaluing people all at the same time. Because if you're looking at this, this character uh, of Ray as like a, a, a hero to look up to, well – She's got an attitude problem, first of all, mm-hmm. and she's like, all-powerful could do anything. So uh, it, it's like it gives people a false sense, like especially young children that are looking up to this role model, gives them a false sense that, you know, they could do whatever they want. And, you know, there's no repercussions for anything, and they, they could have whatever they want, do whatever they want, and, you know, be able to excel and it doesn't work like that and what it does is it it does it devalues the culture it devalues the the worth of people Uh, it also kind of breeds disrespect for your elders and things too which has been an ongoing problem for our society i mean look at how we are here in america Um, by and large most of your older folks, it's not like it was back in the old days when families stuck together and, uh, you know, if your parents got older, you, you took care of them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now they kind of just get pushed off into a nursing home and, right. you know, forgotten about. And, and it's kind of – it's a disrespect of elders and that's, that's something that uh, is, you know, cultural here in the U.S. that, that has really gotten worse through the years and this kind of marginalizes that whole idea too so it's like she doesn't need an older role model or anything to show her you know how to do things or what to do or she doesn't need this role model this is somebody that's pretty much decided how and what she's gonna be and just does whatever she wants because she's all powerful what kind of an example is that setting has no concern for other people which, you know, gets demonstrated actually in this final movie of the the Disney trilogy. Uh, at one point, she's battling against Kylo Ren, and they're both using the force to pull a Star Destroyer down out of the sky or push it back up in the sky. <laughs> and she pulls down this Star Destroyer and blows it up, and... Uh, Chewbacca's on it, supposedly, and, and you know, she finds out after the fact that she just killed Chewbacca or whatever, or that she thinks she killed Chewbacca, but he wasn't actually on that one. It was a different one he got on or whatever. But the point is, like, no regard for other people, any of the people that were on board of that ship or whatever. She was just doing a, a force battle because all of a sudden, you know, this... Person with little or no training in the Jedi arts could do something that even Master Yoda couldn't do without a whole lot of effort. Back in the original trilogy or anything, but it's because she's so all powerful she could do that, and you know she does it without regard for anybody else, just because she can. So, and that kind of sets a, a bad example too. So it's just one of those things where if if you're watching this as a child. It gets kind of confusing for you because, once again, we see, as in so much popular culture stuff, the role of the hero gets really kind of blurred, the line of the hero and the anti-hero. And the anti-hero is kind of a really popular uh, kind of a thing right now, an archetype that they're, they're really pushing. Because this is like not necessarily the good guy per se, uh, but they're kind of portrayed to be the good guy in the story. And, and this Deadpool. all leads great back— great example. Yeah, Deadpool, great example, which leads back to mm-hmm. the whole idea and concept of moral relativism, which is a mainstay uh, for the secular humanist movement. And if people are unaware, secular humanism could be uh, rightly called Luciferianism. So th- this is what this is about. It's, it's all about uh, moral relativism, which what this is is— uh, For people not familiar with the term, moral relativism is basically uh, basing right and wrong upon different circumstances, okay? So there's no absolute right or wrong, as is presented uh, within different religious ideas and stuff like that. Like, uh, say, in the Christian religion, there's the Ten Commandments, and people generally know right from wrong. Well, moral relativism kind of makes that uh, obsolete, right and wrong changes from person to person. What's right for you might not be right for me, or what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. And this is the whole idea pushed by this whole secular humanist idea, moral relativism. And that's what this is equating to. This is pushing and promoting a form of moral relativism on a confused young mind when it's being targeted towards children, much like it is. So these kids grow up, uh, first of all, uh, now, in the the u s. and the Western world in general, without any uh, what should we say mainline religious principles mostly instilled in them by and large. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are still people that are are you know practicing their religion and and sticking to it adherently. but uh, the vast majority of society anymore is more secular in its views. It doesn't really hold these hold any value in these ideas of uh, religious right and wrong, per se, and uh, they hold up these ideas of moral relativism. Like, it's okay to do A if B happens, you know what I mean? Rather than an absolute, well, you know, to murder is wrong, right? That's that's what religion teaches, and that's kind of what natural law has taught all through, uh, all through our existence here, that murder is wrong. But... Right. You know, you bring in the moral relativist case of this. Okay, well, that man is a murderer or a rapist or you know has killed a lot of people or something. Is it okay to kill him? And that's where it comes in. And this is the kind of thing that they kind of promote. So, uh, and you can kind of see this like in these movies uh, in a lot of different ways. And and you know, it's just another way of breaking down. Uh, the traditional fabric of society. It breaks down the traditional family unit because it, another popular archetype and, and idea that they, they promote with a lot of this stuff leading to this moral relativism is the father figure. Now, back in you know the traditional sense, you listened, if you go back to old TV shows and stuff, you listened to the father figure's authority. You did what he said. And uh, now the spin is... Oh, well, the dad's stupid, so you don't need to listen to what he says. You know what I mean? Or the father figure in the the, the story. And this is kind of how they slowly promote this stuff and, and push it. They use the Overton window to kind of shift these concepts over. So this is one of the things they're heavily pushing is this moral relativism. And you can see it uh, and how it's shifted from 1977 when they, they put out the first Star Wars movie where there was this respect for your elders and uh, this respect for life and all this kind of thing. And respect for authority figures, and uh, they kind of just threw it to the wayside. Moving forward to this latest trilogy, and where it, it pushes this whole moral relativist idea. So that's that's just another way where the hero's journey is uh, kind of being misused and abused and and discarded.
1: Now let's not also forget. the other bad part of what they've been doing in this Disney trilogy and that's they destroyed the old characters except for Leia they kind of made her the culmination of all the male figures uh, which is what's been going on with so many anything in in these movies these days the females act like men uh, to the point that they're taking over the roles of the men Uh, sometimes it's it's a, a literal Recasting like they did to Doctor Who, uh, take away the male role, give it to a female, but that's been so badly acted and so badly written that, again, it's almost like a disgrace to women. They've done it so bad. It's like, this is supposed to empower women, but you sucked at every single thing you've done. You you had the means to do this, and uh, some people at least backed it. They were cool with switching the Doctor, but you boogered it up so bad, now your your ratings are at an all-time low. But... All right, let's get back to this, though. Uh, Crossing the Threshold. Step five. The hero is now ready to act upon the call to adventure and truly begin the quest, whether it be physical, spiritual, or emotional, or perhaps a combination. The character may go willingly or might have to be pushed, but either way, the character finally crosses the threshold between the world that is familiar and that which is not. It might be leaving home for the first time, or just doing something that the character was always scared to do. However the threshold presents itself, this action signifies the hero's commitment to the journey, and whatever it may have in store. So, this definitely happened in the original. Uh, that's that's Luke going with Obi-Wan Kenobi. They go get uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca, and off they go from Tatooine to rescue the princess. Uh, thinking they're going to Alderaan, but of course that's not going to happen. Force Awakens, though. The threshold was crossed. Uh, Rey and Finn leave Jakku, and they do go somewhere. They go to... uh, I really don't remember the name of the planet they went to, the foresty-looking one. Uh, They met another kind of mentor figure that that kind of filled that that gap. I, I don't remember her name either, the little... The like almost like a lizardy looking thing, almost like a fish. I, I can't even remember. <laughs> I remember the general outline of the movie, but it, I, I thought it sucked so much that I just... Man, who cares? But um anyway, you you go ahead and pick it up, one I don't want to just keep slinging insults. Yeah.
2: No, I I hear you, but I mean, when they're married, I mean, it's it's okay to do so, but. Uh... Yeah, uh, I think that character's name was Moz or something like that.
1: Maz, uh, or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, something, something right. like something that. Along but, those. but who cares? basically, <laughs>
2: she she was like the uh, the the bar manager or something. It was a bar, okay? It was yeah. something like that. Some kind of a, a resort planet or something. She ran a casino or a bar or something like that. And then you know this uh, once again another female character because uh, you you can't have any male mentors anymore Ooh. because that that would that would just go against the whole uh, you know, agenda that they're pushing and promoting. So,
1: And you know, uh, Wade, they before, before we go on, let's even point out a movie that made a ton of money and that I did enjoy as a movie, and that's Joker. There's a, a white male figure who was the main character, but that's not exactly something you should be aspiring to be like, right? Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, once
2: again, you're looking at uh, the idea – of the anti-hero archetype, that, that's what Big that's time. promoting. I mean, and and you're talking. This is traditionally a villain. This is the bad guy. This is the yeah, guy that was. does horrible, bad things to people. And they're making him likable and relatable to people. And uh, you know, that's kind of a disturbing thing on the face of it. Because once again, and this this ties back uh, to another facet of this agenda that's going on, and that's normalizing mental illness. Oh yeah, and. And that right there, that movie there, does it in a big way because uh, this is kind of uh, uh, not just normalizing it but glamorizing mental illness. And uh, it it does so in a disturbing way because this is traditionally a villain. I haven't watched that movie but like it it gets a lot of rave reviews and stuff like that. It's it's popular and – People are eating it up. And even though they didn't spend a ton of money on special effects and stuff, the budget was a lot smaller. It was a breakaway success. Big time. uh, Right. And and supposedly Hollywood was surprised by this. There's no surprises (laughs) in Hollywood, guys. Just so you know. It's doing exactly what it was intended to do and what they knew it would do from the start. Uh, No part of it is not programming, just so you know. But... uh, yeah, so th- that's the thing. This this normalizes that anti-hero archetype once again, and makes the villain idea and the mental illness idea seem attractive to people. So it's one of those things where uh, it it could lead to uh, a kind of dangerous place morally for people. But that that's exactly what they're looking for. This is another way that they slowly shift that whole Overton window over to make things that that would seem just a couple of years ago absolutely off-the-wall crazy, make them more normal and, you know, more accepted by the public at large. So that's what's going on with that. But uh, uh, back to Star Wars anyway. Uh, So they arrive at this, whatever it is, resort resort. Planet or whatever that this Moz character runs. And for some reason or another, which they give no explanation why, she has Luke Skywalker's old lightsaber, which mysteriously <laughs> calls out just, just to, to Ray. Yeah, just happened to be there. And mysteriously, it calls out to Ray, and she finds it. And uh, there's, you know, a lot of just unexplained, uh, stupid stuff that goes on there with her, with, you know, having this whole. Uh, I, you know, vision or whatever it is that she has there, with the lightsaber, and it, it's just it's so unmemorable as well. It's one of those things I'm having a hard time remembering exactly what happens at that point in the story. But uh, it's it's a far cry from the original trilogy, like how uh, Luke came to uh, understanding and and you know crossing the threshold, as it were.
1: Alright, next step is Tests, Allies, and Enemies. Now finally out of the comfort zone, the hero is confronted with an ever more difficult series of challenges that test the character in a variety of ways. Obstacles are thrown across the path, whether they be physical hurdles or people bent on thwarting progress, the hero must overcome each challenge that is presented on the journey towards the ultimate goal. The hero needs to find out who can be trusted and who cannot. They may earn allies and meet enemies who will, each in their own way, help prepare the character for the greater ordeals yet to come. This is the stage where the skills and powers are tested and every obstacle that is faced helps gain helps us gain a deeper insight into the character and ultimately identify with them even more. This is where you're seeing things progress and you're probably invested in the character somewhat at this point. You're, this is the point where Luke is now going to the cantina in the original one. And you're meeting all these interesting characters and Luke gets in a scrape and you're kind of like, oh, crap. And the mentor comes and, and saves Luke from getting blasted. Um, what about the Force Awakens, though? I don't think that really happened <laughs> in, in the Force Awakens.
2: No, no. The mentor never ne- needs to save Rey from anything. She could just save herself because she's all powerful. So, yeah, nothing, nothing like that happens in the Force Awakens. Uh, so... You know it, it's not anywhere near the whole hero's journey archetype as the the first uh, trilogy was. So you you could see, I mean Luke, you could see the progression as the movies go along, how he becomes a little bit more confident. He has his uh, his different adventures and and things that happen that he overcomes. and uh, you know he he learns from the advice of his mentor and remembers the things that his mentor taught him. You don't have that going on at all in The Force Awakens because Rey doesn't have to remember anything that any mentor of any significance taught her because she never really had any mentor of any significance. So it, and she didn't ever have to really learn anything. She just automatically was able to do it. So it, it kind of takes away a huge portion of the story, a huge element from the story. And and this is the part uh, that people could relate to. So it doesn't make the character relatable or likable, because like I said earlier, there's no learning curve. Everybody has a learning curve, no matter what you're doing. So if you could just go from your everyday routine or whatever, and uh, all of a sudden you know you're you're out on this grand adventure or whatever it is you're doing, and you encounter these obstacles, and to just automatically know how to overcome them. And and how to do that without ever experiencing it before—that's that's just ridiculous on the face of it. But that's what go, goes on in this uh, this Disney trilogy. So uh, you could kind of see the contrast there. So it, it's one of those things where the whole hero's journey is, is kind of lost at this point in the Disney trilogy. Like there's no outline for it at this point because she doesn't have this whole having to harken back to the things she's learned from her mentor or having this whole experience that's the thing the whole experience is just missing it's it's just basically special effects and flashy graphics and flashy stuff to look at on the screen at this point so it's not really memorable in a storytelling sense so that that's that's where we're at with that
1: just think how boring these movies would be If they didn't have the flashy special effects years ago, like the twilight zone or even old doctor who, or somewhat the old star Trek, although they had somewhat of a budget for the time, if they, uh, they didn't have the money to have these insane over the top special effects. So they had to write good stories and at least the leads were always well cast. Uh, The, the, whoever the actor was who played the doctor, for instance, was always a very strong actor. Because that person had to carry the show. Just no doubt about it. They had to have that on-screen persona. When the Doctor was on the screen, boom, you knew it. Uh, Not so anymore. Not even close. (laughs) But anyway.
2: No, and same thing with Star Wars. You don't have, like, a really strong lead character. It's like it depends more on the special effects and, uh, you know, the CGI going on on the screen than it, it seems concerned about the characters or what they're doing. so it's you know you're kind of losing a whole element of things there with with the storytelling arc of things but
1: uh, it's flashy. don't <laughs> give it that it's flashy. right all right moving on. step 7 approach to the inmost cave. The inmost cave may represent many things in the hero's story, such as an actual location in which lies a terrible danger or an inner conflict, which up until now, the hero has not had to face. As the hero approaches the cave, the hero must make... Final preparations before taking that final leap into the great unknown. You know, it's funny. The reason why I paused is because the uh, scene in Empire Strikes Back where Luke is about to walk into the cave popped in my head and I was like replaying it in my mind. I was like, this is literally word for word what Luke did, uh, ironically enough. So you can see what, what was on George Lucas's mind. At the threshold to the inmost cave, the hero may once again face some of the doubts and fears that first surfaced upon the call to adventure. The character may need some time to reflect upon the journey and the treacherous road ahead in order to find the courage to continue. This brief respite helps the audience understand the magnitude of the ordeal that awaits the hero and escalates the tension in anticipation of the ultimate test. And, of course, that whole thing is played out perfectly in The Empire Strikes Back because they're going back and forth between Luke doing his training. He's uh, the failure in in the dark side cave, and you're seeing Luke or excuse me, you're seeing uh, Han and Leia on um, Bespin uh, being captured by the Empire and being tortured and, and the whole setup, like, this is all set up to capture Luke. But for uh, Back to the Disney one. What you got, Wayne? Uh,
2: not much. I think Ray goes down some kind of a... They, they tried to kind of get this whole uh, they did, innermost they, cave they it idea. When she
1: gets the, the lightsaber. They, they kind of right. copied it, but... Again, it, it was wasn't weak in the comparison. Scene. Very, very weak. Right, like she walks
2: down this hallway and it's all mirrors of her face or something on there, and the mirrors shatter or something like that, if I remember correctly. And uh, it's it's all very just kind of a knockoff of the original Star Wars, but uh, it, it's really not not any kind of. Uh, a reflection of how the old star wars how this whole thing played out cinematically you know what i mean it's it's not as dramatic like people they walked away from that more confused than like say in the original when you clearly understood okay well luke's afraid he you know he's gonna become like darth vader right you know yep. and that kind of thing whereas within the disney trilogy it kind of didn't make sense. You didn't know exactly what message was being conveyed there, so it's like you don't really know what her inner struggle is. Mostly probably because she really didn't have an inner struggle because she's all powerful. <laughs> what so, inner struggle? You know, <laughs> right? Mary That's Sue Palpatine. Thing. And she once again, it struggle. goes back to yeah. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where you, you just can't relate to the character. Whereas you know with Luke he knew he had to face off against this guy. But then the thing is, would he turn to the dark side himself? Right. And, you know, when he defeated him and that was the whole struggle that you could see within Luke's, uh, you know, innermost cave event. Whereas with Ray's innermost cave event, you just walked away confused. (laughs) Once again, it was just one of those things. It was flashy, but that was it.
1: Right. And again, these movies would be nothing without those massive special effects. All right, so let's move on to... I just hit a button and I accidentally enlarged a window. Do that less, Jason. Let me shrink that back down so I can actually see (laughs) my desktop again. Because I need to see my desktop. There we go. All right. Make you small. I love doing this live and all the goobers that come along with it. Okay. Isn't live
2: radio interesting? (laughs) It is,
1: especially when my co-host drops out. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how to shut up. So (laughs) step eight, the ordeal. The supreme ordeal may be a dangerous physical test or a deep inner crisis that the hero must face in order to survive or for the world in which the hero lives to continue to exist. Whether it is facing the greatest fear or the most deadly foe, the hero must draw upon all the skills and experiences gathered upon the path to the inmost cave in order to overcome the most difficult challenge. Only through some form of death can the hero be reborn, experiencing a metaphorical resurrection that somehow grants the character the the greater power or the insight necessary in order to fulfill the destiny or reach the journey's end. This is the high point of the hero's story and where everything the character holds dear is put on the line. If the character fails, death can occur or life as it is known might never be the same again. There is no plan B. Never mind, I'm Once again, this,
2: this, this, uh, whole idea of the ordeal and, uh, the concept of, uh, going through some kind of quote unquote death, um, and rebirth. This all correlates directly back to the concept of initiation. And this is, uh, something that all of the secret societies and everything are based upon. This harkens back to the mystery schools and, uh, the, uh, the king priests of antiquity. The whole initiation idea. So this this is an important archetype that's kind of folded into the, the hero's journey archetype. Initiation. The, the phoenix, the rising, the rebirth of the character to something greater. Uh, the sacrificing of their normal everyday life, their ordinary life they had before to becoming the hero. Uh, so like this is your whole death and rebirth concept, and this this goes you know along with different religious ideas like baptism and stuff as well. So it, it's an archetype that's there, that's been with mankind all through eternity, and it's it's encapsulated in this hero's journey archetype as well. So it's an important step in there. So you have this rebirth of the character, and uh, Luke goes through this uh, when he battles Darth Vader. And he loses his hand, and he nearly dies. And then he comes back uh, and gets more training and becomes more powerful. And he's left his old life behind completely at this point and has accepted the new path. So this this is what this is about. Now, by contrast, when you look at Ray in the Disney trilogy, this doesn't go on at all. Like, that, there's nothing there. There's no rebirth idea. Like, she does not, in any way at all, come close to being defeated by Kylo Ren or anybody else for that matter. Uh, she always winds up the victor, regardless. Whereas, in this, Luke learned a lesson. He lost the fight, he lost his hand. In a big, big He way, lost yeah. his mentor. He lost his mentor. Mm-hmm. And he had real loss and real growth because of that. Whereas in, in the uh, the new trilogy, the, the Disney trilogy, Rey doesn't experience any of that because nothing. she's all-powerful and almighty. There's she, nothing.
1: She gets captured by Kylo Ren, and when he tries to read her mind, he does manage to pull it off. But all of a sudden, she's got all the powers of a Jedi now right afterwards.
2: It's right, like, and then she what? could all of a sudden turn it over against him. <laughs> and she outsmarts him, even though he's able to read her mind. It's, it's crazy. It's like there's there's no struggle there. It's not a challenge for her at all.
1: By the way, they have four lightsaber battles, if I remember correctly, between those, the, the, the three new movies. And she is never in any danger. She's, she's literally able to just take on this highly trained individual who spent his whole life, for the most part, learning to be who he is. Uh, she did not but no problem whatsoever just bests him easy peasy lemon squeezy
2: right every single time too every she never time. loses ever and that that's the thing i mean you're missing a, a whole uh, important element to the human experience there that people relate to losing and, and that's that's something that never happens to her at all so it's like it makes this character even more unbelievable, unlikable, and unrelatable.
1: Well, that's not real life. In real life, you have losses. Uh, I guess they tried to play it off like Ray had a loss when Han died, but which you just met him like the day before, or whatever it's supposed to be. <laughs> right, so yeah. it's like, yeah, well, it that's a loss. <laughs> And then uh, maybe they can say losing Luke, but again, she just met him. He was a total wanker to her because I like what Mark sa- Mark Hamill said. That wasn't Luke Skywalker. That was Jake Skywalker, <laughs> which I, Jake. I think is very appropriate, to be honest with you. But, the uh, only anyway, thing wa- missing
2: is the khakis.
1: <laughs> I don't want to run out of time here. So step nine is re- reward, or also known as seizing the sword. After defeating the enemy, surviving death, and finally overcoming the greatest personal challenge, the hero is ultimately transformed into a new state, emerging from battle as a stronger person and often with a prize. Because there can be only one. The reward may come in many forms, an object of great importance or power, a secret, greater knowledge or insight, or even reconciliation with a loved one or ally. Whatever the treasure, which may well facilitate the return to the ordinary world, the hero must quickly put celebrations aside and prepare for the last leg of the journey. Okay, perfect.
2: So now we can see uh, Luke Skywalker. Uh, he overcomes. He moves on with a new, new vigor, realizes he's got more battles ahead of him. He's got more training to do. He comes away wiser. Uh, You know with more power and uh, he uh, has the lightsaber I guess that's kind of an archetype for the the sword in this uh, seizing the sword idea so he he gains his reward but still has challenges yet to come and uh, he's become more powerful but then he starts seeking again he seeks more training because in the next Mm -hmm. movie he seeks out Yoda. For more training, because he lost his mentor, so he has real losses, but he also has real gains as far as uh, you know wisdom, knowledge of the Force, and and these different things. So he's slowly gaining and building up in power and uh, becoming uh, better at what he does. By contrast, though, you look at Rey. Uh, there's really no reward because she had the reward from the very beginning. So it's like uh, it kind of takes the whole uh, the whole journey out of the idea. She already has the reward. So she has no real reason to carry on. She has no no other challenges to worry about because she's already all powerful, already has all the reward. And uh, it it just kind of it eliminates a whole aspect of the story that people could relate to. So it it makes it boring. Like you said, imagine how boring these movies would be without all the flashy special effects and stuff. It would be totally boring, especially if it was more of a character-based movie, because she has no character. And that's the problem. There's no personality there.
1: And there's another movie we could mention that uh, was very pro-feminist, all that kind of nonsense, that was recent, and that is Captain Marvel. And same thing, uh, what little personality Captain Marvel has is very unappealing, and uh, she, from the very beginning to the very end, she's just one success after another. All powerful, has has more power than anyone else can take on everyone else. I mean, just the whole thing is ridiculous because she's just a girl. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'll tell you what, it's it's it, it just boggles the mind that people could actually watch. These movies and enjoy them, uh, knowing that uh, you know that what's being pushed at them is just a total fallacy from the get-go. Like there's there's no way anybody could be all-knowing, all-powerful from the very start of anything. There's no story to tell if that's the case. If this person is could do anything they want from the get-go, it makes the story boring. It makes it unrelatable. It makes it not watchable in my view. Like I I can't understand why people would enjoy something like that other than if it's just to kind of boost uh, an agenda-driven kind of a thing that's already in – they have in mind. Uh, So this is kind of like geared to a specific demographic, you could say so that that's the thing and it's a very small demographic
1: it is a small demographic and here's what i've learned listening to the nerd channel channels that's that uh that small demographic what a lot of time is called the SJWs, all the crazy blue-haired people who seem to think that their ideology is the only ideology they uh don't support any of these intellectual properties they go in they destroy and they leave and the only people that are left if you still have them would have been the true fans that would, would have been supporting the properties all these years. Uh, Doctor Who being a very good example, that show has had many ups and downs and it was on top a few years back with the David Tennant and even into the Matt Smith era of the late two thousands, very early 20, 20, uh, 20 teens and speak Jason. Uh, now that's gone. There's no merchandising left. Like it, they've literally destroyed it. I mean i i don't i don't i can't put it any simpler they have destroyed it people don't watch it anymore they've they've lost more than half the viewership there's no merchandise so the all that extra millions of dollars or millions of pounds that the bbc was getting from doctor who they don't get it anymore because people aren't buying it they, they stopped making it because no one wants jody whitaker uh and i understand why she's terrible i mean they took the entire character right. and just threw it out the window but uh, the same similar thing is happening with Star Wars. Now, Star Wars I think is strong enough that it can keep surviving just because the original stuff ha- had such strength to it. And even though they're they're pooping all over it, don't don't for a second think Disney isn't making money. They're making money on Star Wars, but that dipshit Ryan Johnson who made the last Jedi did cost them probably at least a billion dollars. But the the big question here is that I'm still trying to figure out to this day is how much does money still matter? And a lot of people say money doesn't matter anymore. It might not matter to the highest tier, but when you're still having a functioning society with these companies, how much do people still have to answer to the board? And is that why Bob Iger stepped away? I doubt it. But uh, the fact that Kathleen Kennedy still has her job blows my mind. She cost Lucasfilm... And of course that means Disney so much money over this, but maybe they're just making so much anyway. They don't care, but solo the, the so standalone solo movie actually went to the red, which is unheard of for a Star Wars movie, just because of reshoots marketing, all just everything. Uh, the official was somewhere around $60 million. They lost. Don't get me wrong. And, uh, this is another thing. Crow and I had a bit of a, a back and forth about, he's like, they didn't lose money. They didn't lose money. I was like, I think they could have lost money on a single film, but there's no way in hell, I completely agree, that they're losing money on Star Wars. It's just, the, here's the problem. They've created so much bad will with so many of fans, especially the ones who spend money. I think that's costing them money. Uh, like a All lot right. of money. But the, the big question is, are they still making so much money it doesn't freaking matter? Or does the money really truly not matter? I can't, I can't answer that, honestly.
2: Well, uh, from what I understand, their Star Wars based uh, portion of the theme park that they just opened it was a failure. is not <laughs> is not doing very well. No,
1: because it's stupid. It, it sucks. That's what I, that's what everything I saw.
2: <laughs> so and it goes right really along going. with
1: the new movies they put out then. Well, they made the mistake, so... dude, of centering it on the new trilogy. There's oh, no there Luke you Skywalker, go. or Darth Vader in sight. It's Kylo Ren and the new crappy looking stormtroopers, and it's the planets from the new. Nobody cares about that crap. At least not many. They want to see the stuff from the classic trilogy or maybe even some of the prequel stuff, which looked cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, they're, they're not going back to what was successful for them. Instead, they're trying to just stick with this agenda-driven drivel that they put out. So, uh, you know, it, it, once again, you, you're saying they're probably not losing money as a whole on Star Wars as a whole, but... Uh, the different things that they're they're doing uh, with the Star Wars franchise, they they are starting to lose money in different portions of it. Like I'm sure that theme park uh, aspect of it, they they must have spent a, a whole lot of money putting that all together, and it's not uh, going over so well. So at some point they're going to have to cut their losses. They'll shut it down and redo that section of the park and do something different there. So who knows? I mean, maybe they'll maybe they'll be smart about it and redo things and go back back to the original uh star wars trilogy and and try to uh develop it off of that and maybe have some success with that because when you're talking about something like a star wars people are looking at this with a a nostalgic attitude this is something like you said this is a major part of a lot of people's childhood and these people are much older now but are still willing especially when you go to the uh Uh, the quote-unquote nerd channels or, you know, uh, the different uh, nerd factions of things. A lot of these older people have a lot of money, and they they will spend a lot of money on this stuff. In fact, I just saw uh, something yesterday. There's a a mansion somewhere in Southern California, Los Angeles area or something, listed for $26.5 million for sale that has a complete Star Wars-themed basement. And it's all just props from the movies and has all different original memorabilia and stuff in it (laughs) so i mean you could see how much of a money maker that this this was and continues to be or the potential to be and people are walking away from it like a lot of the fan base is walking away from it disgusted because of just how it's been handled so and a lot of this relates directly to this whole hero's journey archetype Uh, If they had followed the hero's journey archetype in the uh, Disney trilogy they just did, I suspect that uh, they probably wouldn't be having this problem right now.
1: Right. No, I totally agree with you there. Uh, By the way, Star Trek, they're kind of doing the same thing, too. They have their main character in Discovery, which is a a prequel to the original show, which did not need to be done, uh, with the main character, Mikey Spock. They have a female named Michael. (laughs) Who is also just like Rey. She can do anything. She doesn't need help. She's smarter than Spock. She turn, It turns out, I, I've barely watched Discovery because it's so awful, but something to the effect of she's Spock's stepsister, and she's super smart and helped influence Spock and made him the man he was man, I'm over it. Uh, and now they're doing the same thing with, with Picard. Uh, the, the, the strong, smart, enigmatic Captain Picard that we saw in the eighties and nineties played by Patrick Stewart is now a doddering old man being yelled at by women. Every single person that he went to in Starfleet, because I have watched this just to see what they would do with that. Every single person in Starfleet in command was an older woman and they all yelled at Picard. And then he goes to other places <laughs> to get help and do things. And they're all, it's always women and they all yell at him. So here's almost 80 year old Sir Patrick Stewart, who had a lot to do with the creative control of the show, by the way, that's why he's, he's even done it. Uh, just being yelled at by women everywhere.
2: A female I, I, named Michael, just like the Obama wife. Somebody just commented yeah. in the, in the chat. Michael, I mean, <laughs> big <Michelle>. Mike. <laughs> Big Mike, that's Big actually Mike. A really, guys, that, that's actually a really interesting rabbit hole to look down. If you ever get the chance, uh, seriously, it, it, it makes you, makes you really question some things, but at any rate, uh, that's neither here nor there. I just thought that was funny. Big Mike. Uh, so you can kind of see, you know, how, how, uh, reality could reflect entertainment at times too. So who knows? But, uh, yeah, they're, they're really just pushing this agenda way hard in a lot of these uh, different properties, these intellectual properties, a lot of them being the science fiction type properties. And, and that's, that's kind of what we see. I, I don't know what to attribute this to. Has science fiction become such a popular commodity at this point that uh, they feel the need that they need to push this stuff in it? Are they trying to... Uh, Uh, capture the minds of of a different core of people, per se, like a different demographic of people with these agenda-driven ideas? Or is there really a call for that, which I don't see that being, because the demographic that they're they're trying to hit with this is a very, very small demographic that historically does not uh, get involved much with these science fiction properties. But, you know, it it makes you wonder, what is the actual... uh, Idea behind this? Why? Why do they keep doing this? So, it's one of those things where you have to look and see why are they even taking something that's been a a, a success for them in the past, like the hero's journey archetype, and removing it from the picture. It, it makes you wonder because even if they want to push an agenda, you would still think they would use whatever tools they have at their disposal. Something like the the uh, hero's journey archetype to promote this agenda, but they're really, they're just stripping away every aspect of it. So it makes you question that.
1: All right. Step 10 is the road back. This stage in the hero's journey represents a reverse echo of the call to adventure in which the hero had to cross the first threshold. Now the character must return home with the reward, but this time the anticipation of danger is replaced with that of acclaim and perhaps vindication, absolution, or even exoneration. But the hero's journey is not yet over and the character may still need one last push back into the ordinary world. The moment before the hero finally commits to the last stage of the journey may be a moment in which the character must choose between their own personal objective and that of a higher cause.
2: All right. So once again, you could see where in the original Star Wars trilogy, Luke Skywalker, uh, he decides to uh, go for the objective of the higher cause. He joins the Rebellion and uh, becomes an important asset to the Rebellion. And uh, his, his kind of journey back home happens early on in the movie when he returns back from getting the droids and finds that uh, his home and his family have been killed and destroyed. And at this point, this, this kind of leads him uh, to go on, this adventure, because he really doesn't have anything to come back to. But he does wind up going back to Tatooine, and that's an interesting thing. So you you have this even later on in the original movie trilogy, where he goes back to Tatooine. In fact, he goes back there uh, to battle Jabba the Hutt, as I recall, in the Return of the Jedi movie. So he returns home, and uh, he knows the territory there very well, and once again he's different he's changed this is a new luke skywalker one that has accepted this higher calling and is is trying to uh live up to this higher cause so he returns home the new person so this this is kind of uh you know where where we see the original trilogy going you could see this this step in the hero's journey he does wind up going back uh and things are different for him now. So now he's moving forward, uh, being the actual heroic figure. So, uh, when we look at the, the Disney trilogy later on, I don't think Ray returns at all to Jack. Who does she? Mm, I I'm
1: don't trying to, so. no, they go. I don't think the second so. one, she's with Luke most of the time on, uh, shit fantasy Island. And then, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think I've only ever watched the other two once, uh, <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't and go back your regret anything. doing. Yeah, so, I guess you probably. could call it the the rebellion, or what do they call it? in the the resistance uh, is is the is the return home. I guess, but again,
2: whatever. Six of one, half dozen of another.
1: All the same. Boff
2: puke. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. You're delicious, boss. Spaceballs space was actually a a better <laughs> rendition of, of Star Wars
1: than the <laughs> Disney rendition. It did. It really did. <laughs> Space Force, the flamethrower, <laughs> right, Elon?
2: Space Force, the flamethrower. The <laughs> kids love this one. Yeah, that was a grand uh, movie. Uh, that's one of my personal favorites.
1: <laughs> All right. So, step eleven: resurrection. This is the climax in which the hero must have the final and most dangerous encounter with death. The final battle also represents something far greater than the hero's own existence, with its outcome having far-reaching consequences to the ordinary world and the lives of those the character left behind. If there is failure, others will suffer. And this not only places more weight upon the shoulders of the main character, but in a movie, it grips the audience so that they too feel part of the conflict and share the hero's hopes, fears, and trepidation. Ultimately, the hero will succeed because, well, it's usually a drag when they don't. uh, Destroy the enemy and emerge from battle cleansed and reborn. There are occasionally movies where the hero doesn't succeed. That's actually one of the things that made The Empire Strikes Back so interesting. Luke gets the shit kicked out of him, loses his hand, loses Han Solo, uh, let's see what else happened, uh, doesn't know what to do, really, uh, is just kind of out of place and has to completely regroup, uh, right. in The Last Jedi, Rey is super powerful and saves everybody. I yeah,
2: think. pretty much, that's all there is to it, there's no, uh, real, real journey there, or no, uh real challenge there, per se, but uh, yeah, Luke loses everything in the second one, The Empire Strikes Back, and this kind of sets up the next film perfectly. Uh, like th- There was a big uh, um, draw for people to come back and watch the next movie, and that's the thing, you really didn't have that with this later trilogy. The, people had no incentive to go, go watch the, the last one, especially after what happened in the second one. So, uh, you know, the way that they just decimated Luke Skywalker's character and and really crapped all over the original trilogy and Lucas's original vision of it all, uh, that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Oh, sure. So Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people just went to see the third one just to see how they would try to recoup from that. But uh, honestly, I, I think that, you know, some people have have said and i've seen some people say that oh they were trying to pander to the fan base in that one and it kind of got back to you know how the original things are supposed to be Mm. but in my view it really did not it just kind of doubled down on the whole thing because uh if anybody hasn't seen it yet which i'm sure everybody probably has that wants to see it uh basically in the end ray takes on the skywalker name So she stole everything, all all the glory, and then in the end, even Luke's name, even the name, (laughs) even the name. That is, there could be no greater insult than that. Just as a spoiler for people, okay. In the last movie, it turns out Rey's mysterious uh, heritage, or whatever that they were trying to lead on in the first two movies, that she was somehow related to the Skywalker's or Han Solo and Leia, or whatever. Or whoever it was, she was, or even Obi wan Kenobi, or or whatever the other ones they were trying to lead on. She was related to. It turns out that she's Emperor Palpatine's granddaughter, which totally makes no sense. Flies made up in the, the, the last face minute,
1: no doubt. Way.
2: Yeah, made up the last minute, just so they could bring back a, you know a villain character that was halfway respectable in the first uh, you know set two sets of movies. But uh, yeah, it was just really poorly done. So she was, you know, the ultimate big bad guy's granddaughter. And, you know, she's all-powerful and stuff like that. And then at the end of it, she steals Luke Skywalker's name. <laughs> and it just, it, it's the ultimate insult. It's like they crapped all over the whole Skywalker idea, like the, the whole original trilogy and everything associated with Luke Skywalker. And then they doubled down on it by having her steal his name. That's like just kind of you know, stomping on it after the fact, too. After they already drove it into the ground. It, it's it's just one of those things. And that that's something that I think a lot of the hardcore Star Wars fans were probably highly insulted by. So I, I think, think moving forward, we're going to have some issues getting butts in the seats if they want to put out more movies.
1: By the way, this thing that they're pushing now... Captain Marvel made money, but I seriously think it was sandwiched between. It was because it was sandwiched between uh, what was it, Infinity War and Endgame, so people wanted to see it because Marvel movies and generally are successful. But afterward, it's quite well known that people didn't like the character very much, and certainly didn't like the actress Brie Larson because she's kind of a piece of crap. And of <laughs> course, they minimized her in Endgame as a result from what all that was said uh because people just didn't want to deal with it but how many other movies that pushed this agenda actually made money none of them they all failed it the first one that really stands out is the horrible all-female ghostbusters from 2016 that movie was poop supreme and it failed it failed it lost money uh the the newest terminator movie all female-led stupid lost it lost money uh let me think what else uh the the um Charlie's Angels reboot and all these movies are, are like pro female power. We're better than men, but they act like men, uh, lost money. The, uh, birds of prey, the sequel to, uh, which called suicide yeah. squad, uh, flopped to my knowledge i haven't checked the numbers lately because i kind of just didn't care yeah
2: it it flopped from what i saw yeah
1: it it, again that was another total when when ewan mcgregor is out saying oh it's all about fighting misogyny my main character is all about how much of a horrible misogynist he is the daily misogyny that women have to go through like all that's like dude shut the hell up nobody (laughs) cares this is not what people go to movies for but I mean we we know what this is about this is agenda this is why we're going through this by the way if if anybody's wondering why are we doing this it's to point out that although there's always been agenda in in hollywood and, and in anything that's put out there's always been something there it was a way more subtle thing years ago than it is now what we're trying to point out is you have the same franchise putting out movies obviously not run by the same people but they have plenty to work with to draw from if they wanted to, to get it more similar than they did. And look what they've done. They, it's just – it's a disgrace. So it's all, it's all about – it's all about divide and conquer. That's what I usually tell folks when they want to know, like, why, yep. why are they doing it? Why would Disney do this? Well, it's about divide and conquer. Disney is one of the big five or big six or whatever you want to say of the, the multimedia companies that owns just about everything else and that is how they control nearly all the information that gets funneled to us it's it's just from the top down But anyway absolutely let's do the last one return with the elixir step 12. this is the final stage of the hero's journey in which the character returns home to the ordinary world a changed person the character will have grown as a person learned many things faced many terrible dangers and even possibly death but now looks forward to the start of a new life Uh, the death one is is a very good to point out for neo they took that right out of the hero's journey The return may bring fresh hope to those that were left behind, a direct solution to the problems, or perhaps a new perspective for everyone to consider. The final reward that is obtained may be literal or metaphoric. It could be a cause for celebration, self-realization, or an end to strife, but whatever it may be, it represents three things, change, success, and proof of the journey. The return home also signals the need for resolution for the story's other key players the hero's doubters will be ostracized the enemies punished and the allies rewarded ultimately the hero will return to where the characters started but things will clearly never be the same again well <laughs> nothing <laughs> happened ray didn't change other than uh, no. she built her own lightsaber that was yellow, by the way, keeping with the sun symbolism. Uh, Luke, on the other hand, started off as the whiny farm boy and ended up being The Last Jedi. Literally, The Last Jedi before the crap Last Jedi movie. And uh, just the differences are night and day. Uh, anyway, what do you think, Wayne?
2: Yeah, definitely. You could see, the, <laughs> like you said... Rey has no hero's journey at all. Uh, nothing has changed in the end. She still has all the power she's always had, and but now recognizes that she's all-powerful and decided to steal the name of Luke Skywalker. So, n- there it is. I mean, uh, like, it, it just totally undoes everything that the first trilogy, the original trilogy, was all about. It completely undoes it all. And uh, that... It's kind of a thing that – it's really disturbing when, when you look at it from that perspective because this story that really had meaning and people were wrapped up in and had morals behind and ethical values, this is a story that had value, the original Star Wars. This is the mythology of our time when it comes down to it. And now they've stripped everything away from it and made it all meaningless with this Disney trilogy. And that's what it's about. All at the altar of uh, hyperfeminism or this agenda, this SJW agenda, or whatever it is. That's what it is. It was sacrificed to the altar of the SJW agenda. Right. That's what happened to Star Wars. It's a dead issue. It's dead and gone. It's not what it once was. It doesn't represent the same things it used to. And uh, the hero's journey, same deal. It's it's an archetype that... Uh, They've thrown on the scrap heap to the uh, altar of this agenda. And it's it's terrible. And they've even thrown uh, the idea of making money on these entertainment properties. They've sacrificed that on the altar of agenda, too. And that's their livelihood. Okay, so this this ties back once again to the whole concept of energy, human energy, life energy, Uh Life energy is imbued in the money system, whether people want to admit to that or not. We, we invest so much of our time, effort, and labor and everything into this, this false value of money that uh, it is imbued with this life energy. And that's what this is all about. And they've sacrificed all this life energy to this agenda. And uh, there's real consequences for this socially in our world. So this, this is what's going on when it comes down to it. If you want to look at it from, say, the uh, quote-unquote occult perspective or, or whatever you want to refer to that as, this is what it's about. They've they've put all this energy into this agenda, and they've sacrificed everything that is part of their livelihood to it in order to bring this about. So they're looking at making real changes in the world with this entertainment and uh, these social justice warrior-type issues are the things that they're really trying to push and promote. So they're taking a very small fragment of the population and trying to make it the majority. And that's, that's not okay in my book, because like, that, that's total violation of the free will principle. If people uh, actually live that lifestyle or whatever, that's their business and their prerogative. But it doesn't need to be pushed in everybody's face all the time. 24-7 and that's what they're doing and uh, they're they're really kind of trying to push this whole uh, crush the patriarchy thing and it's really not called for in this day and age I don't think I mean yeah okay there may have been a time when our society was over the top patriarchal and women had very little rights and stuff like that but by and large today that's not how it is and uh, you know it's, it's not to say that uh this needs to be going on the way it is, but this is what they're pushing, and this is what they're doing.
1: Right. I, I see people kind of complaining about why we're doing this and all that. I, man, I, I don't know how to explain it to you. America doesn't really have much culture. They've got pop culture, and this stuff is highly influential on so many minds. And I don't understand how people can't see that. That That's why we're breaking this down. We're trying to show you how something that used to be held up in, to a pretty high standard, which would be the original Star Wars trilogy, is now a, it has now been reduced to a piece of crap, really. I, I mean, it, it doesn't matter to me. I'm 46 years old. I don't need these childish things anymore. My point is people are being influenced by this. So we're trying to show you, just like Crow and I always do, and even Owen tries to, we're trying to teach you we're trying to educate people like hey these things matter to people too much and therefore can influence people and that's not good so we're trying our best to, to tear them apart show you what they're doing so that People who poo-poo things and say, all that the stuff isn't going on." Yeah, it is. There's massive agenda in so much of everything these days. I mean, look at what they've done to pop music. What's considered pop music? That's a long way away from the Beatles in the '60s with sugar and bubble gum. Now it's all, oh god.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's just how far has this has this gone? Like like how far has our society slid into this hole? ideology uh it, it's a far cry from where it was when we were growing up jason like honestly it, just the changes that we've seen in our our lifetimes uh it, it's incredible to see just how successful this whole social engineering agenda has been and make no doubt about it folks uh, th- this is exactly what's going on we're, we're all being socially engineered we're being uh, directed to a path that the controllers of this society want this is what they're doing this is where they're steering us and even if you're uh, resistant against it they're using that to their advantage too because once again it's the whole divide and conquer thing so even if you're outspoken against this stuff like we are uh, they're make no doubt about it they're using that to their advantage so it's one of those things where at some point yes Everybody in society is going to capitulate to what they want and fall in line, whether it's you know by their own free will or if it's by force. And uh, that's, that's the point they're trying to get across with all of this. They're, they're pushing it down your throat, and they know that a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth with this stuff and don't want it and are, are fighting wholeheartedly against it. But the thing is, it's going to be forced upon you and foisted upon you one way or another, whether you like it or not. And that's kind of the point they're trying to drive home. That's why they allow things like this to be out there. Like Jason and I, this is why we we haven't been shut down yet. They allow this stuff. Make no doubt about it, folks. They allow this stuff to be said out there. They want these opinions out there to be aired out there so people understand, okay, well, you're not alone. But, you know. They want people to be at odds with one another, so and that's what it's about. So they have to kind of let these opinions be aired freely, because at some point, they're going to shut down free speech altogether, but right now, it's in their best interest to let this divide and conquer thing go on. They want people to be opposed to these ideas, so that they have an enemy, okay, a fictitious enemy to quell those wacky conspiracy theorists. That's the thing. I mean, these, those conspiracy nut jobs, they cause all these problems. That's, that's the angle that they're going to go at with this stuff. You know, they'll call you a closed-minded bigot and uh, you know, say you're a conspiracy nut job and you need to be silenced because bad things happen when people start listening to conspiracy nut jobs. And if we were really conspiracy nut jobs, nobody would listen to the things we have to say. <laughs> there would be no value there. So there would be no harm in letting a conspiracy nut job talk. Uh, so, you know, when you have somebody out there shouting, "They're gaying up the frogs," buy my boner pills. You know, I mean, that's they they use that stuff too to kind of paint the picture. This is what the conspiracy nut job is is looks like. You know, so it kind of paints us all with a, a bad brush. And uh, this is what they want, and they want to have people at odds with one another. So. You know, they want to be able to easily dismiss these things being said, so they'll kind of paint us into a corner with conspiracy nut jobs, and that's what they'll do. And they'll use that to silence our free speech, or they'll find other more nefarious ways to make us look bad in some way, shape, or form. So this, this is what's going on, and it's all going to come down at some point where they're going to start silencing free speech, but until they do such, we're going to keep on talking on these platforms as long as we can, because people need to be aware that these things are going on. This is all social engineering on a grand scale. And that's why we talk about this stuff because our entertainment choices, that's one of the primary places that they choose to hit us with all this mind control. And that's what it is.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I think I think we've done it. We, we've spoken about this as much as we can. If uh, folks don't get it, then I, I don't know. Now, of course, there's always new people coming into things, and uh, that's that, that's a thing all of its own. But uh, I, I think it was important to go over this uh, to point out what a lot of folks probably didn't realize. And uh, Maybe get into some more details to those who did realize, but anyway, we'll get onto something entirely different next week because I'm I'm kind of bored with talking about these already, and uh, it seemed like I, I like it's such a big deal to me. It's like I'm I'm over it, you know. If I want to watch Star Wars, I'll watch Star Wars, but um, I don't need anything new. They're never gonna to top the old one. so who cares? It's it's over. I'm an adult. Uh, I'm more into writing my own music and doing my own thing. To be honest with you, as you can see by that lovely little guitar that Crow got me behind me, uh, finally gave up its first song to me that i wrote the other night that was very nice but anyway wayne that'll do it we're over our time that we usually allot for ourselves so anything you want to uh you want to tie up here
2: no just uh you know keep on fighting the good fight out there guys don't let uh, the tv sway your opinions on things do your own research look into things deeper than the surface narrative and uh you know don't take anything at face value uh, look into it yourself. Like it, it's, it's so important for people to look into things for themselves and have their own thought process on things rather than just taking anything at face value. Because right now, the fear porn's off the charts with the things like the coronavirus and all of that going on. So, you know, whatever they're, they're blaring at you on the TV, don't you believe it until you can prove it for yourself with your own research. And, you know, that's something Bill Cooper used to say. Mm. So, uh, I'll take a I'll use an old Bill Cooper axiom. Don't you believe it until you can prove it with your own research.
1: Well, I wanted to say thank you to everybody. I see a whole bunch of bears on the DLive chat. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. Let's see. What was our turnout? Looked like we had 150. It was pretty strong. So as always, thank you so very much. Uh, tomorrow's episode on Crow Triple Seven is with Marty Leeds. That'll be released in the morning uh that was quite an, an interesting chat i brought up something to marty actually that uh, i don't think we've ever spoken with him before and that's on uh, the state of the the truth movement and a lot of these celebrity figures if you want to call them that uh it was an interesting chat i enjoyed it i hope you guys do too uh let's see what else can we talk about um wayne have you got anything coming up are you going on anybody's shows you doing anything fun and exciting
2: uh, I should be recording a little 20-minute bit with uh, Billy Ray Valentine this week on uh, Iconic Network uh, over at his show, America Unplugged. Uh, so I'll be doing that. And uh, we're still trying to hash out a record time for our Mud Flood episode we're doing on Crow 777 Radio. So uh, that it seems to me like that has been pushed off and pushed off. We've had just so many things come up. And it, I don't know, sometimes I wonder if there's not some kind of an arconic force that's that doesn't want this uh, episode to air. So, uh, you know, we'll be recording that at some time soon. I uh, don't know exactly when because we keep having to push it on the back burner for one reason or another, but that'll be coming soon.
1: Oh, we're going to be recording with a real doctor, a forensic psychiatrist next week. That's going to be quite an interesting show. Very, very smart man. Very nice guy, too. Very nice, very humble. I'm going to definitely enjoy that when We're recording that on Monday. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy the new episode of Croachable 7 Radio tomorrow. And if you have anything that you'd like to hear Wayne and I tear apart uh, and plus anyone else we might bring on shoot me uh, an email at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com. By the way, Wayne is an author. If you want to put out about your books real quick.
2: Oh yeah, sure. Uh, I have two books available right now. They're available either on Amazon or at any other fine book retailer. Uh, They're titled the alchemical tech revolution, fulfilling ancient esoteric agendas through the use of high technology. And my more recent book is called the autism epidemic transhumanism's dirty little secret. Uh, Both are a warning against the coming transhumanist ideology. And uh, I am currently working on my third book, which should be out sometime this spring. And that one is going to be titled Cybernetic Messiah, Building the Antichrist System. And that one should be pretty eye-opening too. So uh, people could check those out. Uh, Also, if anybody wants to reach me, you can reach me at alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com or check out my Facebook page, Files from the Conspiratorium. And, uh, you know, I'll be here again next Wednesday night with Jason, Lord willing. And, uh, you know, you can check us out again next week.
1: Absolutely. And uh, one more time, uh, please check out Lower the Friction from our friend Randy from Houston. A great engine oil treatment that's actually a uh, very good formula that was invented back all the way back in the 80s that Randy is putting out under his own name. Use promo code SOS for 5% off. I'm getting great results out of it, and I will continue to uh, let folks know how I'm doing with it. But uh, if you use it, we'd love to hear from you. Anyway, that's it. Thank you to everyone. I really appreciate all of you being here and we'll see you next week. Take care.
0: All to see